I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. everybody, it's me. At home, in elastic pants, I hope you're home and safe with an ample supply of toilet paper. Things are uncertain and really scary right now, and a lot of relationships are feeling strange. My inbox is filled with coronavirus-related relationship questions, like, how do I not lose it at my spouse right now? Or, will my long-distance relationship survive if I can't travel? The other day, I was asked how to look good on a date that's happening on Zoom. These are all hard and weird questions, and I'm trying my best to answer them. One thing I do know is that we all deserve some good distractions right now. I'm finding a lot of comfort in movies because I just love them so much. So today we have a bonus episode featuring Boston Globe film critic Ty Burr. His books include The Best Old Movies for Families, A Guide to Watching Together, which is really helpful for a lot of people right now. There's also Gods Like Us, which is a book I'm really into because it's about stardom. But Ty has always been a man of the people. And by that, I mean he's the kind of fancy film critic who also just loves a great story. He gets the kind of love story I like. Like, he'll message me from a film festival saying, I found your perfect movie. I remember when The Shape of Water came out, and he knew I was going to be attracted to that fish man before I did. I got on a call with Ty the other day to ask him what we should be watching right now. He's got some excellent suggestions. And definitely listen to the part about The Lake House, one of my all-time favorites. Hi, Ty. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Meredith. How are you? How are you holding up? I mean, I'm home. I have a lot of kettle corn. (laughs) So on the snack front, I'm okay. Um... So if I combine the snacks with, like, mildly crippling anxiety, it's, you know, whatever. It sort of comes out to the middle. So uh, how are you holding up? Uh, I am on cup 5,232 of turmeric tea. And um, I'm doing an awful lot of uh, cryptic crossword puzzles because that's where I can put my mind where I'm not in this world. I'm somewhere else. I mean, you're someone who spends a lot of time 
with screens. Yes. Usually much bigger ones than what we're dealing with right now. But do you find that movies can be as comforting to you as they might be to me, like the rest of us? Because for you, it's a job. Uh, and, you know, amusingly enough, it's still partly my job. I've switched over from reviewing films that are being released in theaters and that I go to see screenings of in theaters to covering movies that are appearing on demand on various streaming platforms. And in fact, some some movie theaters like the Coolidge are having virtual screenings where you pay a ticket fee and you get to watch a new movie. Well, I wanted to talk about that because, so for those who are listening from out of Massachusetts, the Coolidge Corner Theater is a great local independent film house it's like our, outside one of Boston. It's one of our big art houses. Yes, and this morning I noticed that they advertised a lecture and screening online of Rear Window. And I was laughing because I've been a little bit rear windowing my next door neighbors. I mean, not in like a creepy way. Like uh-huh. they see me rear windowing uh-huh. them. They're well, and they are rear windowing me too. But um, I, you know, as we get into this conversation about comfort films and about things we can be watching at home to make ourselves feel better, I'm wondering if you would put Hitchcock Rear Window on the list. I would, if only because it is one of the best movies ever made. It's a great entry uh, gateway drug for Hitchcock. It's a movie you can show to anybody of any age. And I'm talking, you know, I've showed it to kids in middle school and they're hooked. It's such a simple concept. It's not so much anxiety provoking as thought provoking. There are other Hitchcock movies I would say, you know, maybe put off Psycho for now, Uh, maybe put off Frenzy for now. And I also just feel like Rear Window is a rom-com. In its own special way, right? <laughs> right, with like 55-year-old Jimmy Stewart deciding whether he should marry 25-year-old Grace Kelly. Okay, stop ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot about that part. I'm more just thinking the dialogue, but you were totally right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the number of people who've told me they've watched Contagion. I, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up. Like, what is the psycho? And even yesterday, I said to my sister, um, who listeners know, uh, We'll be happy to know that Brett is hanging in there in New York City and watching a lot of Cuomo press conferences. Mm-hmm. It's her new crush. President new Cuomo, Cuomo, I understand. She's having she's having a time of it. I think she's going to write fan fiction by the end of this. It's truly upsetting. But anyway, <laughs> um, her her own erotica, of, which I will never read. Um, but we were talking about 12 Monkeys. Yeah. And trying to remember that. And... I don't know what the psychology is behind wanting to see these films that explore the most stressful thing that we're experiencing right now. What do you think that is? Uh, Well, I think it's the reason people watch disaster movies in the first place. It's to envision and get their brains around their own deaths, the idea of uh, apocalypse, the idea of what would happen if it all went to hell. Movies dramatize it. And actually, I think, you know, and I looked at that and saw that Contagion was the trending, the number one trending movie on a number of services. And I kind of went, huh? But I actually think it makes sense. It's the most recent, you know, virus movie. Um, There was that awful one with Dustin Hoffman in 1995 that I only remember because it's the first movie I went to take my infant daughter to see after like three weeks after she was born. We just brought the little car seat and she fell asleep. But it's the first movie my wife and I had seen in ages. But Contagion is, I think people want to see it to see what this might look like. It's that simple to see, to to play it out, worst case scenario in a movie where it's safe, what this might look like. It's a way of gaining control. Uh, and, and, And I don't think everybody gains control. We're all trying to get a sense of control in a uncontrollable situation. And I suppose at the end, like, 
these movies usually end certainly with people who've been sick and and affected, but then there's a happy ending usually, right? Like, maybe not for Kate Winslet or whatever, but like for Jude Law. Um, Well, you know, it did occur to me that, you know, people, maybe some people are watching Contagion because they just want to see Gwyneth Paltrow have the top of her head taken off. Um, Because that's like in, you know, minute 10. But, you know, I, I think if this was happening... 50 years ago, everybody would be watching Andromeda Strain. You know, whatever is the most... I'm surprised there aren't more zombie movies sort of high up on the list because that's one way we deal with the idea of a viral pandemic is personalizing it into a zombie. Um, And obviously in the last 10, 20 years, that whole genre has taken off. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, for those who don't know, Ty, just beyond being a, a film critic has a real sense of celebrity and stars and wrote a book about it, which I highly recommend. And I found the other day that I was watching a television show called Discovery of Witches, which I also highly recommend if you like Twilight. It's kind of in the same genre. But Matthew Good, mm-hmm. you know, who is not a, you know, he's he, he is in movies, he's on TV, but I found his whole persona to be very comforting. And what I put in the last Love Letters newsletter was a Matthew Good film festival for myself. Um, only Matthew Good in small roles and big roles, and I found your Stoker review mm-hmm. from a few years ago yep. when that movie came out because I've never seen that film. Are there people that you feel like you gravitate to, like stars that you just, if you look at them and hear them, it's like, okay, <laughs> I know the world is what it is. Like, wh- what are your comfort people in, in films? It's a good question. Some of them are directors. Richard Linklater, I've been watching some of his older stuff like everybody wants some. I love his world. I love the worlds that he inhabits. And it feels comfortable to me in part, in great part, because we're the same era. Dazed and Confused is literally my high school, except for the paddles. That's my high school experience. And I think in certain times like this, you're discovering new people that you like. So what my wife, my wife, uh, my, my wife and I watch TV shows for comfort food. We don't watch so many movies because I've. She, my wife doesn't like to see any movies that I've already seen, which kind of rules out everything. Um, That's like literally everything. Yeah. Um, so when we, she finds one that I haven't seen, we get to watch together. She's very happy. But we watch a lot of TV. And uh, we are watching Peaky Blinders right now, which I'd never watched before. And so, I, I, you know, talking about my book, I teach a, a course, college course, uh, that sort of lifts off from my book about celebrity and stardom. And uh, one of my students last year wrote a, her final paper on Killian Murphy because she was so in love with him from Peaky Blinders. Um, and now I understand why. And I actually so you find fall, him, You've also fallen in love? Well, you know, we're, we, we just started season three. And, I mean, he plays a cold-blooded gangster leader, um, but he is also somebody who's supremely in control. Um, and he's got those sort of creepy blue eyes, but he's got an absolute stillness and poise that no matter what is going on around him, he's sort of the quiet center of all this insane violence. And I find that actually sort of comforting. I find that watching a character who, no matter what is thrown at him, is able to just sort of ride the tide of it, I find that interesting, and I find I want to be around that more. Do you have a list of just, like, movies you revisit over and over in tough times, um, or even just in life? Because, and before we get there, can you just start by saying, for anybody who doesn't fully understand the life of a movie critic... (laughs) How many movies you might see in a week, in what way you see them? Very quickly, I figure it averages out to a movie a day. You know, some days I don't watch anything. Some days I screen three movies. Uh, I go to a film festival and I'll see five movies a day for six days until my brains fall out. It averages out to about a movie a day, but I've been doing that for 40 years, plus change. So 
it's a it's a fair amount of titles in there. Well, it used to be when the theaters were open that we would they would screen the major studio releases for us in in um, theaters like during the daytime, uh, the Boston Common most usually. And increasingly, the uh, smaller films would, we would get screeners or um, these days, and now these days, completely screening links that we get on our computer, which you can watch on your computer, but I hook it up to my TV and, you know, try and get as much of the big screen experience as possible. And it's still, the quality is not 100% movie theater quality, but you do what you can. But to your question about whether, you know, do I go to, are there certain movies I go to for comfort? There are, absolutely. I grew up a classic movie junkie. That's how I got into this when I was a teenager. And there are certain, it's not so much movies as stars that I go to or directors. I can watch anything by Howard Hawks. He will make me feel good. I can watch any screwball comedy, anything with Cary Grant, anything with Catherine Hepburn, anything with Betty, anything with Betty Davis or any, any of those sort of classic stars. That is my narcosis. Uh, that's my, you know, that's my opium. It just like makes the the world kind of go away. I have found, and this is going to sound totally pinhead movie critic geeky. Um, I have found that there's one, there's a director, a classic Japanese director named Yasujiro Ozu, who made dozens of movies that all have similar titles, late spring, early autumn. They're all kind of the same movie in much the same way that Monet painted the same uh, cathedral. Everyone's a little different. They're all about average Japanese people in the 40s and 50s living their lives and having small dramas. And I find them absolutely profoundly relaxing, pleasing, uh, deep. Uh, they just, they're kind of my Zen meditation. They, they're a place I go to um, where I just feel I'm in good hands in a universe of hum- of curiosity and humanity and um, sort of love of people. That is my true comfort cinema. Uh, I, can, I was watching uh, one of his movies the other day and it just put me in a happy place. You know, one of the things I very much appreciate about you is that even though you are a film critic and have film critic tastes, obviously, you have never shamed me for uh, loving certain films, certain vampire films. And years ago, we used to do a, a small online competition where Ty and I would would sort of in a bracket March Madness style face off our favorite romantic movies mm-hmm. and they would compete against one another. And every year I would laugh because no matter the the topic, usually sometimes it would be like sexiest movie or guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, we both wanted dibs sometimes on the same movie. Right. And one film that I am delighted that you have an interest in that I also have an interest in is The Lake House. The Lake House. I adore And my that favorite movie. thing is, it, well, it's so funny because our colleagues Every now and then I'll say, you know, Ty loves the lake house and their eyes get really big and then they look like relieved and excited. Like now you're one of us. Yeah. Um, um, like like it's okay to love the lake house. So, you know, for those who haven't seen the lake house, this is a really great time yeah. to see the lake yeah, house. Oh my God, but absolutely. Can you, for, it's about people right? communicating who can't communicate in real space. I mean, this is like, we're living in Lake House times. I'm just going to start, like, putting mail in a mailbox, hoping yeah. that Keanu Reeves gets it, like, soon. I don't know, whenever. But tell me what you think about that movie and why why you, you know, I guess treasure it in the way that so many do. Well, I mean, first of all, I know I'm fighting an uphill battle here because I'm a professional movie critic. Everybody thinks that, yeah, you're going to watch Ozu movies all day. Yeah, if it doesn't have subtitles, you're going to think you're going to dump on it. Yeah, you're going to, you know, 
harsh on all the movies I love. And that's not true. Uh, There's plenty of good commercial crap out there, good crap and bad crap. And sometimes the junk is much more fun and much more worthwhile than the, the, um, the classy stuff, let's put it that way. And I do have a sweet tooth for boneheaded romantic comedies with high concepts that just are preposterous. Serendipity being another example. I, I love those movies. They're stupid and fun and full of conviction for themselves. Absolutely dedicated to the story they're telling, to the, the brain-dead characters they're celebrating. The Lake House is about a house by a lake in which two people live at different times. Keanu Reeves lives in it at one point, and two years later, Sandra Bullock lives in it. And somehow there's this magic mailbox outside that if Keanu Reeves puts a letter in it, Sandra Bullock will get it two years later, and vice versa. If she puts a letter in it, Keanu Reeves will get it two years earlier. How does it work? I don't know. I don't care. Um, But you have... I actually... To me, it's kind of funny that you've got Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock in the same movie, Falling in Love, because they I, I think they were split off from the same zygote. I mean, I think they're kind of the same. Um, I always joke that Keanu Reeves was is, is the black lab of movie stars, um, and that he's he's friendly, he's shaggy, he's maybe not super smart, but but he's absolutely, absolutely great. I think I would change that description now in the wake of the John Wick movies. I think he's changed his persona a bit. Uh, but that could go for Sandra Bullock as well. They, they're kind of nicely visually and temperamentally matched, I feel like, at least in this movie. So you watch this movie kind of with your jaw halfway down to the floor because the idea is so crazed. It's so ridiculous. And yet they're so committed to it. And it works. It works as a romantic comedy, a romantic drama. I'm trying to think if I could like send myself anybody a letter two years ago, I would be like, just like buy toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Buy it in bulk right now. One day you'll be psyched. (laughs) We'll be back with Ty Burr after a short break. We're back. Today I'm talking with Ty Burr, the movie critic for the Boston Globe, about how and what to watch during stressful times. I, I personally think that romantic, uh, boneheaded romantic comedies is a bona fide genre, and I think it is a true comfort food for this era. And we could make up a list, and plenty of them aren't boneheaded. I'm being I'm being facetious here, but you know, you'd have to include when Harry met Sally. You know, all, all the all the ones we know, but I think you also have to start looking into the ones we don't know, or the ones we've forgotten, or the ones that we make fun of, but that we secretly watch a lot. Yeah, for sure. And also, there are some, you know. There are certain movies like Edge of Tomorrow. These are not mm-hmm. these are like action romances that I find also very soothing. That's the Tom Cruise one. Like, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, and like it's a Groundhog Day kind of yes. scenario. Yes, um, which that's it, been making me feel good. Which the I remember that it did so poorly in theaters that when they brought it to uh, video, they changed the name to it was something like Wash, Rinse, Repeat or something like that. Oh my uh, gosh! They changed I mean, the name. I, I I love that movie. I but, do too. You know the. You know, I will say that I feel very grateful that we're suddenly getting all of these movies sooner digitally than we would have. Um, one of them being Portrait of a Lady on Fire dropped last yes. night. Oh, my God. Everybody go see that movie or what? sit down and watch that movie. Yeah, go, go to your room and <laughs> see that movie. Um, and I think that's my favorite romantic movie of the year. I mean, I I that one. And I think we're getting the photograph in April now. 
Right. So for those who who didn't see that in theaters, it is time. And Emma and um, Invisible Man, which is, I, you know, for me... I'm, <laughs> Not I'm really a rom-com. With, well, no, no, but I'm of the sleeping with the enemy generation. Yes. So I, to me, like, that's like a double feature kind of night. Disturbed uh, double feature. Um, any other movies that especially perhaps a younger audience... Well, that it's they fun- might not know of the titles it's, that you want to recommend. It's funny you bring up um, Edge of Tomorrow because there's this sort of—they're not so much romant- romantic movies as, as they are, I guess, what I'd call B plus movies. They're genre movies, maybe with a big star, and they weren't taken seriously by critics and didn't do well at the box office. But I think they're just perfectly enjoyable, especially for downtimes like this. And I'm thinking of, yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. I'm thinking of this totally ridiculous Jake Gyllenhaal movie that came out, um, God, almost 10 years ago called Source Code, where he plays... I don't even know what that is. Oh, man, you should check it out. It's it's got such a crazy concept akin to The Lake House, but I don't want to spoil it for you, um, that I'm not going to even try and describe it here. But he is a soldier who realizes that what's going on and his reality is not quite what he thought it was. And uh, there's another one. Oh, God, there's one called Limitless with um, Bradley Cooper. Uh, it's, oh, Limitless, I know. Oh, Limitless man. is... Again, yeah. not not a movie that you can critically defend, but a movie that is great, just cheesy fun to watch, where he plays this schmo who takes... I forget how, but he takes some kind of drug that increases his brain from the 10% where... He, supposedly used to the full 100%, and it explores the ramifications of that in a B-movie, very enjoyable way. Is that the same premise as that Scarlett Johansson movie? Is that Lucy? That's Lucy, and that's a similar premise, but that is given the full... Um, is it Luc Besson who directed that? i got to look it up. Hold on a second. I think so, it's, it's, and I, it's a lot of good scenery. Yeah, Luc Besson. Um, so it's given the full whack job, gonzo, Luc Besson treatment. Limitless is much more quote, realistic, unquote. Um, And they're both very enjoyable in their own demented ways. You know, we know that there are all these things that make us comfortable. What are you avoiding right now? I'm not one of these people that can watch Contagion because I feel like that is, that might be where we're headed. And I don't want to see it played out in a Hollywood style. I'd rather discover it on my own in whatever way that is. It really comes down to individual choice. There are some people who are like queuing up every single Fast and Furious movie. And that if that works for you, if that makes the world go away, if that's your comfort food, great, go on it, you know? But I do find, I find that I'm not in the mood for things that are super demanding of my um, emotions and intellect. I'm really not into watching like, you know, downer three-hour Polish movies in black and white about, you know, the existential dread, because I get enough of that at home at this point. But in some of those, I do have to watch uh, for uh, whatever I'm reviewing. So you turn off that part of yourself and you do your job. But um, yeah, I, I am, like everybody else, I'm going for the stuff that makes me feel good and that puts the world away for a couple of hours at least. Well, this is so helpful. Just as a film critic who sees films at home now, is there anything you want to tell people about the best way to stream a film, what they should be doing with their TVs, the lighting, um, you know, anything you want to be snobby about? Because we will hear it right now. Oh, this is yeah. the time to lecture us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, go to your TV and figure out how to turn off motion smoothing. Yeah, you, you handed that to me on a plate. Thank you very much, man. Yep. <laughs> um, what is motion smoothing? I wrote, I, wrote a, I wrote a column about it about, I don't know, 
six, eight months ago, so you can Google that up. It is a switch buried way down in your submenus of, of things that you can change on your TV that, how did, let me see if I can explain this uh, correctly. All films are shown at 24 frames a second. On TV, because it's electronic, it's digital, you don't have to be held to that same limit. But all films are still made, even electronically, in 24 frames a second. Motion smoothing invents, digitally invents through an algorithm, frames to sort of be between those, each of those frames. So it looks more like high-definition video. It looks hotter. It looks like it's, it's called the soap opera effect. Uh, it looks like a, a football broadcast as opposed to a movie on your TV. What's really interesting is that some people do not notice it. And other people, it drives them crazy. And I have been in a room. I've been at, uh, among my friends, I'm known as the jerk that goes around and turns off motion smoothing on all their TVs. Uh, and I've done it in restaurants and I've done it in waiting rooms. And um, you can thank me later. But I've been in a room where people are, we're all looking at the same thing and half the room is going, how can you not, it's like the blue dress, you know, yellow dress thing. How can you not see that this looks like a soap opera and other people are going, looks like a movie to me. And then I'll, I'll turn it, I'll turn it off and they won't see a difference. I, I might've noticed it, but it wasn't until, it was actually a former Boston Globe critic who's now at Entertainment Weekly, Sarah Rodman. Mm -hmm. She stayed with me and the last thing she said to me, I think, when she left was, I fixed your TV. <laughs> yep. So it's, I think it's also people who, um, yeah, I mean, she had the eye. And of course, after she left, I thought something is different yeah. and better. So and the, I, I get it. Um, and the problem okay, so is every, the every different TV brand calls it something different. And it's you have to go, you have to burrow down into the submenus. So send me an email. I will come over and I will demotion smoothing your TV for you. From a distance. From, yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll come in in the hazmat suit. Um, <laughs> I also think it's worth looking into a, um, sort of a dedicated curated site like Criterion.com. If you're really into art house films, there are sites like Mubi.com and a handful of others. I'm blanking out on them right now that, that bring a lot of foreign language films and documentaries and art house films that you wouldn't, that never even make it to, um, to U.S. movie theaters. So it's a really good way to sample um, a lot of content out there. Before I let you go, I know there are a lot of parents home right now with kids, <clears throat> and those parents feel, these parents home with kids might feel guilty about screen time. Um, you're also incredible at knowing the world's best films for kids, and um, are there some classics you would pull out if you were a parent right now with people under 10 who need oh, yeah. to be entertained? Uh, well, first of all, if you and your children have not yet seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you cannot move forward in life until that has happened. Do you want to know a sadness? A sadness is that uh, this coming Saturday, I would have been seeing Pee-wee live. Oh! If it were not for... I know. I know. Well, it's, I'm it's, glad it's, that it's, we're protecting Pee-wee from the coronavirus. No, me too. Me too. And hopefully this will be rescheduled. But I'm so glad you said that movie because oh. it is wonderful. It is. Once you see that movie, its vocabulary will be in your sort of hard drive for life. But yeah, no, I, I wrote a book about watching old movies, classic movies with kids, uh, to which I, you know, used my daughters as guinea pigs. And now they're in their 20s and not psychotic. So apparently it turned out okay. Um, I will say that you should not be afraid of trying black and white on kids because they don't know that it's good for them. You know, they don't know that it's something different. And I would say, you know, my my entry entry uh, level uh, movie for black and white films would be Bringing Up Baby uh, with Hepburn and Grant. Um, and if you're too scared to start them on black and white, then go for the 
It's not really a official remake, but What's Up, Doc? with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, which is in color, which is also, they're two of the funniest movies ever made, in my opinion. Here's something that people don't understand. If you have a really little kid, like I'm talking like three, four, five, you can show them silent comedy. You can show them Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Safety Last, the one where he climbs the clock, and they will go nuts. Because again, they don't know that it's old. They just know it's something on TV and it's interesting. And I have said this to to people with young kids, watch The Gold Rush with them, watch a Buster Keaton movie, and they're like, nah. And then they come back and they said, the kid had watched it 10 times in a row. Um, And the other thing that you can start them on early is musicals, classic musicals, Singing in the Rain. One other uh, comfort food musical of mine um, is uh, another MGM musical with uh, Gene Kelly called It's Always Fair Weather, which actually was just on Turner Classics the other night. That is so much fun. You got three guys doing a tap dance with trash can lids on their feet. You got Gene Kelly tap dancing on roller skates. It's got everything. Um, it's color. Any of those MGM classic musicals, they're bright, they're funny, they're tuneful. Uh, girls would probably go nuts for Meet Me in St. Louis. My daughters did when they were young. There's so much out there. No, I'm not going to shill for my book. But I mean, you don't need the book. You can go out there and find any sort of Turner Classics oriented list that will lead you to some really, really wonderful experiences. And Truly, the younger your kids are, the more open they will be to those experiences. You know, I think by the time they get to middle school, they're going to be wary of anything you tell them. But um, if you're stuck in the house with a, with a seven or eight year old, these are movies that people don't really think about, but that are real a really entertaining and b. What's interesting is because they were made in a time when you know all movies were censored. They deal with a lot of grown up themes in a way that. Um, kids can handle and find interesting. I remember I watched 12 Angry Men with my daughter when she was like nine, and she was fascinated with that movie. And it's about some fairly gnarly stuff and fairly demanding stuff, but she got it. And the movie made it absolutely clear to her. So I would recommend, I would recommend take a, take a header on some of those. Well, this is so helpful. I mean, my gosh, one of the few things that is comforting to me right now is what I can find on my TV and movies are a big part of that. And, um, I know you don't want to chill for your book, but I will. Uh, first of all, for people listening, if you Google Ty Burr, as in Aaron Burr, um, and T-Y is how you spell Ty, you will see all of Ty's work, his books, his criticism, and it sounds like a column coming up on how to watch movies for free. Yeah, it's actually online um, now. Um, great. Um, and uh, thank you so much. I mean, and thank you once again for not judging my Twilight, for not judging my... My lake house, I have to say that I have had the luxury of when the Twilights were still coming out, I was often sitting near Ty um, and sometimes his daughters, right, for the release of these films and not having to show, not having to fear um, showing my excitement. Uh, And I I not only not shame you, I celebrate you. I celebrate them. I actually think the first one is is a good movie. And yes, Catherine Hardwick. Yep. Solid. Yep. Um, And the other ones are if they're your your bag, then they're your bag. Well, listen, I mean, as soon as they started letting the men direct them, what can you expect? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I hope everyone is safe and good at home and that you have access to good things and are watching good things. Um, And uh, Ty, thank you so much. And we'll be back soon. Okay. Thanks, Meredith. Stay safe. Be well. You too. When you are near me And touch my hand. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. 
Today's episode was produced by Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. I want to hear from you guys, especially now. Email your social distancing and all other relationship questions to the team at lovelettersatboston.com or find us on Twitter at lovelettersblog. And remember, Love Letters has a book. It's my memoir, and it's called Can't Help Myself. And yes, I read the audiobook, so enjoy. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more at loveletters.show. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. I need you so I love Don't say